0: Let's open our Bibles to the New Testament, to the third gospel, the gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke start the New Testament. And we're beginning in Luke chapter 5 today. We're working sequentially, and we've come to Luke chapter 5. And we'll be reading the first 11 verses. As you open your Bibles here, let me welcome those who might be tuning into our live stream. Uh, George, Mary, and Linda, others, uh, we miss you. We can't wait till we're reunited here in church. And other visitors, be welcomed here uh, and join us. Let's read God's word and then we'll discuss it together. Luke chapter 5, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, a faithful translation of God's inspired original writings. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, May the Lord bless the reading, hearing, believing, and obeying of his holy word. Amen. Amen. What we see here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, is a major turning point for a man named Peter, Simon Peter. It's the decisive moment for Peter becoming a disciple. This is the decisive moment. It's not their first meeting, but this is... The day where things are very much clear for Peter and for all who knew him. Now, when we say something's the decisive moment, what do we mean? I know what I mean by it. And I thought I'd do my research and check the history of the word decisive moment. Perhaps there's an illustration from the great kingdoms of the world or movements or scientific discoveries or wars. I was intrigued to find out that the phrase decisive moment is a significant term used in photography. Hear me out. In a photography article by John Phillips online, The Decisive Moment, what it is and why it's important to photography, he says photography, particularly street photography, is an art form. And like any art form, success is found by capturing something deeper, An essence, a meaning of something visceral and emotive, something real and complete. Little did I know. A photographer does not simply point and shoot willy nilly. Many photographers aim to capture what is referred to as the decisive moment in photography. This is where a visually pleasing image is combined with deeper meaning by capturing the essence of what is happening. The difference between taking nice-looking pictures and perfectly capturing genuine moments of action, emotion, and meaning is this decisive moment. How do you know when you've seen a photograph with that? Well, when the decisive moment is captured, he says, people tend to stop and study the image, extracting the wealth of information expressed in the art form when you see a picture that draws you in. And I think we've we've seen those. The decisive moment in that click of the camera. We're looking at the Gospel of Luke, and Luke has done it in writing. And here, in chapter 5 of Luke, hear me now, he describes the decisive moment for Peter. Peter was just a fisherman, a Jew in the ancient world, until somebody said... Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and someone, his brother, brought him to meet Jesus. Hi, how you doing? I'm Peter. I mean, I'm Simon, and Jesus would change his name to Peter. What is the decisive moment in the life of Peter where we sometimes say the light bulb goes off and he's a committed disciple? It's this moment. This is perhaps the most dramatic episode in the Gospel of Luke. In this account, says one, we see Jesus use a physical miracle, the catch of fish, to produce a spiritual one. The converting and claiming of Peter as a disciple. So I want us to look at this and I want us to study this. This will call perhaps this afternoon for you to sit with your Bible open to Luke 5 and reread this and study it and see how Jesus works, and see how Peter responds, and make it your own. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at the call of Jesus, and then we're going to look at the decisions, plural, of the disciple before we wrap up. So first, the call of Jesus. What is Jesus doing here in this passage? He had started his public ministry. We saw that previously. How did he end the very last two verses of chapter four? He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For this I was sent, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues. He's preaching in the synagogues, primarily on days when they would gather in the synagogues, on the Sabbath day or other events. Maybe there was a midweek prayer meeting. But when Jesus wasn't in the synagogue, one day he was just walking along the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, in, uh, some of the Gentiles called it Gennesaret. It's a giant lake, and they called it a sea because it, it was very tempestuous at times. And the region of Galilee was all around this lake. It surrounded it. And it says, uh, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake. He wasn't in the synagogue. Something had happened with his ministry as he was preaching and teaching. People wanted more. Say, say, Jesus, say, say Rabbi, say, Master, would you tell us more? Tell us more. We're, we're seeing... Perhaps some kind of revival breakout. It's not just a good turnout at the synagogue. People are lit up and they want to know more from this man. They want to hear the word of God. So Jesus is ministering to them and he's out in the midst and in the crowds gathering. And I'm I'm between the water and this crowd. How can I best get word to them? Jesus, as smart as he is, sees an empty boat and he says, if I put off a little bit from the land, I can speak to more people across the shoreline and up the hill, perhaps. So he uses the boat as a pulpit. He's not going fishing himself. He's using the boat as a pulpit. And he'll do so again and again, at least once we know of and perhaps twice. Mark chapter four has another episode similar to this. But Jesus is practicing his first priority, preaching the word, telling people what they need to know about God and what he requires of them. As Paul would later write to the church at Rome in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And in this case, very literally, the words of Christ from a boat carrying across the water and many could hear. And that's what they wanted from him. As we're looking at Jesus in this ministry, we see that Jesus has a couple of requests. There's actually more than one. Because when he gets into the boat and he wants to put out, he does ask. Um, getting into one of the boats, verse 3, which was Simon's, he asked him, Hey, can can you do this? Can you push out from shore? So Jesus asks. He doesn't just take the boat. And Peter says, Sure, we'll talk about Peter's decisions and answers next. But here Jesus is asking for that. but then Jesus makes another request known to Peter after he's done preaching. I mean Peter wasn't working. He was just in the boat making sure it didn't drift away and Jesus is using the boat for teaching. and when Peter's all when Jesus is all done, Jesus turns to Peter and says this in verse uh, four, "Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, okay? Uh, this is a whole new request. This fishing directive was coming from a carpenter's son. I know you're in a fishing community now, Lord, but uh, this isn't a carpenter's shop. This is kind of my territory, Peter might be thinking. All around the Sea of Galilee, we knew that there were at least nine or maybe 10 different villages that had a huge part in the fishing industry. We're talking over 10,000 people in each of these villages that have been uncovered or that are still there today. Fishing was a major industry. Peter and company had their own fishing boats. These were roughly 30-foot long, we would probably call them flat boats. They had a very shallow draft so they could go close to the shore and there'd be stability as they filled it. So this large... uh, boat would hold a couple of men and their catch Jesus gets into it, he preaches and then he asks Peter put down your nets how do we describe that request hang on it is counterintuitive. you're not expecting that this is a preacher why does he bring it up, well I I tell you one thing we'll get to it later, I think he was bringing it up because he wanted to reward Peter for the use of the boat that's part of it It's not the big part, but that's part of it. It's counterintuitive, but as other commentators have said, if we're being honest when we come to it, we might think, uh, Jesus, isn't that a little insensitive? These guys were fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. They've already cleaned their nets. One of my first jobs was as a short-order cook. And that late shift when you want to clean your grill and wipe off your condiments table and put the plastic wrap over everything, and you're watching the clock, you're hoping nobody comes in in the last five minutes because you've cleaned the grill. And Somebody comes in, and they want food. And you start your cleanup all over again. Jesus is asking the fishermen who are already tired. They put in a full shift. They've already cleaned their nets. And they've just had this wonderful sermon. He says, hey, let, let's go out for a catch. It might be insensitive, and some would say it's a little irrational at face value, a little irrational. Jesus, I, I know you might want to encourage us, but there's a reason we fish at night in the shallows. The fish can see the boat during the day. During the day, the fish can see the net, so we go out at night, you know. I don't have time to teach you everything, Jesus. It's, it's not the way we do it. What is Jesus doing here in making this suggestion, this request? As I said, I think he's planning to reward Peter, which he does. And Peter and his family and James and John, their families will be provided for weeks to come because of what's about to happen. They will be well rewarded. But as Luke is setting this before us, he's portraying the decisive moment. What is it that will trigger Peter's discipleship. Because this reward of fish, which the Lord brings about, provokes a spiritual response. When we get to the the arrival of the fish, notice how quickly the narrative moves. Uh, This narrative is not about the sermon that day. It's about this interchange with Peter. Put out into the deep, let down your nets. Simon had replied. We'll look at that in a minute. When they had done this, verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They needed the other boat. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So much fish, so much fish by weight. The water's coming up the gunnels, and it looks like they might be swamped. It's a great reward. It does show us the power of Jesus... We see that a lot in the Gospels, right? They present Jesus' power over nature. As one of the ancient church fathers said, Gregory of Nyssa said, the voice of the word is the voice of power at whose bidding at the beginning of the world light in all creatures came forth. It's the same voice and the same power. But this miracle is more than just a supply and a reward for the fishing company. It's a trigger for Peter's faith. It's a trigger for Peter's faith. So let's look at the decisions of a disciple. The decisions of a disciple. There are three distinct decisions Peter makes. Each one's a little different, and they're all a little significant. And any disciples of Jesus here today, maybe you've made similar decisions. Let's check, let's see. I'm not going to ask you when we get done with all three, but I hope you've at least made the third decision. What's the first decision? It's very simple. Yes, master. And when does that come? Well, it's implied. It's implied. Uh, Getting into one of the boats, verse 3, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. What did Peter say? Well, obviously Peter consented because they put out a little bit from the land. Peter was operating the boat. The first request, can I use your boat? Sure, you can use my boat. He had a previous encounter, Peter and Jesus. Back in John chapter one, a different gospel tells you about that. This is the very first passage in Luke where Peter's named. So Luke is putting a spotlight on this key event, but we know from John's gospel that Andrew dragged Peter along sometime before this, and they'd met. Then the Lord said to Simon, "Uh, your name's going to be Peter. And that got Peter thinking. I bet that Peter was a regular attender at some of the Jesus sermons in the synagogue. But this was a work day. Peter was at work. He had been fishing at work night, and had just finished his shift and there's another opportunity to hear Jesus preaching. Peter got to hear that sermon, whatever it was. And he's probably nodding. He he seems to have been interested in Jesus. He may have already been a disciple by the time this moment happens. Philip Ryken says it seems that he had not yet made a full decision for discipleship. J.C. Ryle says Peter here is a babe in Christ, weak in faith, in in experience, and in knowledge. So he may very well be a disciple, but he's sitting kind of in the grandstands. He's not with Jesus very actively yet. So his first decision is, of course, Master, use my boat. And he uses the generic term of respect for Jesus, Master. That's the easy decision. That's the easy decision when you invite someone to come to church and they say, sure, I'll come to church. You need me to drive? I got a car or a boat. The easy decision is to draw close to Jesus and be available. It doesn't cost too much. But there's another question and another decision that we see in Peter. And it is the reluctant decision. I use the word reluctant. We know how it happens. Jesus says, hey, let's, uh, let's, since we're here in the boat and you hadn't caught anything yet, and I'd like to reward you. Again, I think that's all implied. Well, let's, let's give it a try. Put your nets down over here. I, I don't think Peter's being sarcastic, but he's a fisherman. He knows what's going on. And he, 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 you see the hesitation in his voice, don't you? You can hear it. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing we're tired. But Peter was, was not one to miss a challenge. You know, I, I could do it, but it doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm a little reluctant. Michael Wilcox in his commentary kind of pay, plays out this, this way that Peter might be talking. He says, uh, Lord, it's okay if you want to borrow my boat and you want me to listen. I can do that, but you're kind of in my sphere of expertise here okay i'm the fisherman they call me the big fisherman you want to know something about fish i can tell you i can tell you why we go out at night and you want me to go now really it's possible peter sees this as a foolish request but what does he say He doesn't just say yes but he he, he doesn't say that makes sense to me let's try it no he just says at your word at your word I will let down the nets his partners aren't there yet this is Peter so I think that's evidence that he is at some degree a disciple and he doesn't understand yet how Jesus works and he thinks this is pretty crazy idea But because it's Jesus that's asking, he will obey. He says, okay, my boat, yes, and now my nets are at your disposal. And I will put my expertise and my opinions and what I know and what I've experienced, I'll, I'll hold that in check because of who you are. So it's somewhat reluctant, but he says, yes, here's my net. And then there's a miracle. And Peter's third decision is, what do I make about all this? We were just over there. We tried the sweet spot. We didn't catch a single fish. This is supernatural. It's clearly supernatural. Supernatural. There were about 28 to 30 types of fish in that, and they probably had one of everything, 10 of everything, 50 of everything. We don't know the quantity. But the miracle is a trigger for a response from Peter. It's a reward, and I bet Jesus is smiling as he sees Peter and company blessed by that fish. But Jesus expects what's coming next. Peter, trying to figure this out, makes another decision. The decision is about himself, not his nets or his boats, about his heart. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He repents, he confesses. That's that's his decision. I I thought I knew what was going on. I, I didn't take your request seriously. I didn't take you as seriously as I should have. I've sinned. I've doubted. I almost disobeyed. I had an attitude problem. But notice. In this personal epiphany. As Peter realized exactly who this Jesus is. They're not just meeting at Andrew's introduction, he sees the power of divine creator demonstrated. He sees Jesus as Lord and God, and he responds. He uses the word what? He doesn't say master, he says Lord. We know that word. We sing it all the time. Christians, we talk about the Lord. We talk about the Lord. If we're reading through Luke's gospel, this word has only been used before chapter five, only been used for God Almighty. And now as Luke reports this decisive moment As Peter has had his eyes open and his heart exposed, he sees Jesus as the divine Lord. If there was any doubt before, it's clear now. If there was a small faith, then it is a strong and vivid faith now. And he calls Jesus Lord. But what does he say? He speaks to that Lord and confesses, depart from me. Notice what Peter doesn't say. What doesn't he say? He does a boy, I'm a lousy fisherman. I didn't see that one coming. I, can I take a note on this now? How did you know those fish were there? He doesn't look at his skills being off. He knows immediately that the issue here is his spiritual problem of doubt or delay to obey. And notice that Peter doesn't just say, I'm sorry for the one sin of being slow to believe you. He doesn't repent just of one sin. What is Peter's declaration here? He says, I am a sinful man. I am a man full of sin. I am a sinner. And I'm in the presence of the Messiah. I'm not worthy of your attention, your reward. Your affection. And Peter repents and responds this way. He's a sinful person. Have we ever seen that in the Bible? Oh, yes. Boys and girls, do you know your Bible? Have you ever seen someone react when they see who God is and then see themselves as sinful? How about early on, boys and girls? What's the first time you see that in the Bible? Adam and Eve. They're okay at first, but then they sin and they know that they're naked. And then they hear God's coming. What do they do? They hide in the bushes. As if to say, depart from me, Jehovah, for we have sinned. And it's not just Adam and Eve. When God brings his people Israel out of captivity and slavery with his mighty arm, he's done many miracles, and he brings them to his holy mountain, Mount Sinai. And as they see the equivalence of God, this cloud of glory and this voice from atop the mountain, as God thunders, the people quake. Don't let him speak to us lest we be consumed. In the presence of holiness, our sin is exposed. Adam's sin, Israel's sin. And there's one more great example in the Bible. Can you think of it? Maybe I'll ask the older boys and girls, the adults. Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet at God's disposal tells us, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And the, uh, the description is phenomenal. And their are cherubim and angelic beings worshiping and holy, holy, holy. You know what Isaiah's response to all that is in verse 5? He said, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. All of these are decisive moments. And in those moments, we see two things happening. God is there in his holiness. Men are there in their sin and everybody knows what's going on. Peter has no hope in and of himself. I can't even fish. And I'm sinful in the presence of the Messiah. Depart from me. John Calvin, uh, who was a pastor and dealt with people at their decisive moments, wrote in his great theological work this statement. No one ever attains a clear knowledge of self unless he has first gaze upon the face of the Lord. When you encounter the God of the Bible in a sermon, in your own reading, when God manifests himself to you, it exposes your heart. But fear not. There's more to this moment. Peter has fallen at the feet, not of Mount Sinai, but at the feet of Jesus. Let's see what happens next. As we study this picture, there's light here. There's a glow. It's the glow of grace. Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, middle of verse 10, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In this third heading, the first thing we see is the grace of God spoken. This gracious greeting of Jesus. What doesn't Jesus say? Told you so. (laughs) You can't even fish. What's wrong with you? And you doubt it. No. Jesus says, don't be afraid. What, What holy God who hates sin can't allow sin in his presence? Take your shoes off by the burning bush. That God says, Peter, don't be afraid. Because you remember what the mission of Jesus was. I'm here not just to show up as the divine Messiah. I'm here with some good news. And Peter, it's particularly good for you at this very moment. Because you're all ears. He's at the knees at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus speaks grace. Don't fear. I have work for you to do. I want you to follow me. There's grace in the message of Jesus. There ought to be grace in our telling of the message of Jesus. Yes, when they understand that God is holy and he sees everything someone's done, he knows the thoughts and intention of their heart, deeds done in in secret, God will expose their sin. But it's our job as well to show them the good news and the grace of Jesus As we see it here. This grace comes with a new vocation. There's a commissioning here, isn't there? Jesus taps into Peter's skill as a fisherman. And isn't this marvelous how the Lord worked this out? He didn't use some other miracle to get Peter's attention. He used this miracle right in Peter's field of expertise. He can do that. And now he tells Peter about his future calling and vocation using the language of his current vocation. You're a fisherman, right? And the, and the word used at the beginning of this passage for fishermen is the very common word for fishermen, used dozens and dozens of times in the New Testament. But when we get down here, as Jesus is speaking on, on this resolution, do not be afraid. From now on, He uses an interesting word. It only occurs twice in the New Testament. It's it's the word uh, combining zoe for life and the word to catch, to catch alive. And so the phrase here is pretty well translated in the ESV. You will be catching men, catching men alive. What does Jesus mean? Well, we know he does use the phrase fishers of men with the regular terminology in the other Gospels. The concepts all come together. But he's telling Peter, I'm going to use your skills. You know how to approach. You, know, you have a sense of timing. At least we'll develop that, Peter. Uh, you, you have all these skills. I'm going to use those. It's going to take a little bit of work. But you are Peter, and there's something ahead for you In my kingdom, you will be able to catch and build by grace. Douglas Milne has observed at this point that uh, no training of ours, no knowledge or skills of ours are wasted in the service of Christ. Uh, I like fishing, but I'm not great. God gave me some other skills that he wants me to use for him. What are what are your skills? What what's in your personality? The way God has made you that he now wants to deploy in his kingdom. Our God is a, look at the world during the month of autumn. Our God is a God of variety and beauty and power and design. And so he has designed People to play roles in his kingdom's work. There's a place for you. Now, this new vocation of Peter is fishing, and we we immediately begin thinking of evangelism. Uh, is something of that on our plate? Yes. But notice the key to fishing for fish and the key to evangelism is always the sovereignty of God. I come home and I use that all the time. The sovereignty of God. I didn't catch any fish. I put my lure in the water, I put my worm out there, it was in the water, and it was deep enough, and I don't, I, I do what I can, but it's in the sovereignty of God, really, if I catch a fish. Same thing with evangelism. But friends, you will never catch anything if you don't put your net in the water. And in a few weeks' time, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I, I kind of call it Harvest Sunday, it's my own little campaign to invite someone to church to hear some good news. And when it comes to fishing and your new vocation as a believer, you can at least invite someone to church. You can be praying for them and inviting them to church. And you could even have a short gospel testimony ready to share with someone if God puts that on your heart. But we need to do something. We need to put some net in the water that God might fill it. Peter had a new vocation. And that's not all. There was Peter's response to this. Verse 11, and we end with this. And when they had brought their boats to the land, and it's using the plural here, it's not just Peter, but we assume it's Andrew and James and John, all four. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Here we see the resolve of faith. God had been gracious to Peter, who's really the first convert, repenting of his sin that we know of in the Bible, to Jesus. And we see that grace in this new commission that's offered. Peter and these men receive it by faith. We see the resolve of faith. And verse 11 is one of the most traumatic points in the gospel of Luke from here on out things are going to be different Jesus isn't just going to be on his own in the synagogue he's going to have these disciples with him these men in training who will take the lead in the church when Jesus ascends into heaven so what does their faith look like like they left everything and followed him their families were provided for that great catch of fish there you go and it doesn't mean they walked away that instant. They probably processed the fish and sold the fish and whatever. Let's not force crazy talk into the Bible. But they were done with fishing for a while and followed Jesus. Where Peter had met Jesus and was listening to Jesus and kind of in the bleachers about Jesus, he's now on the path with Jesus and he's serving. He is an active disciple. It is his resolve. And leaving everything, making the commitment to put God first is the true test of discipleship. Is there anything that you serve more than Jesus? Is there anything more precious to you than Jesus? J.C. Ryle says... The path of duty may sometimes be hard and disagreeable. The wisdom of the course we propose to follow may not be apparent to the world. But none of these things must move us. We are not to confer with flesh and blood. We are to go straight forward when Jesus says go. And, says Ryle, we are to do a thing boldly, unflinchingly, and decidedly when Jesus says do it. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Peter was wholly given to being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. The resolve of faith. We've seen Jesus at work. We've seen Peter go through his decisions This decisive moment is set so clearly before us in Luke 5 1 to 11. What other takeaways can we mention? First, you need to hear and believe. You need to take Jesus at his word. Isn't that the key here? Jesus said, Put your nets over for a catch, take him at his word. It doesn't always have to make sense to our finite minds. But when Jesus says it, when the Bible says it, may that be your default place of agreement and submission. Hear and believe. And in this episode, we've seen the the two stages of receiving the gospel wonderfully shown. The first is we see ourselves clearly and we see Jesus clearly. We also need to set all other loyalties aside and follow. We need to hear and believe, take Jesus at his word, but we need to make adjustments. If we're believing that word and Jesus comes first, other things have to move. We know that happens in in marriage and in relationships. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. There are adjustments to be made when you get married. The night out with the guys takes second place to a night with your wife. In principles, doesn't mean everything is abandoned, everything's cut off or amputated from your life, but things adjust when you make a commitment. To follow Jesus requires you to listen to him, to repent and believe him, to tell other people about him, and pay the cost of discipleship. And the last reminder is service. There are no wasted skills in the service of Christ. Do what God has made you to do for the kingdom of God. Be yourself. Peter was called to be a fisher of men. Three years of training and then he's kind of on his own. We'll get to Peter's first sermon in the Sunday night series in just a week or so. How did Peter do the first time he preached? I can tell you about the first time I preached. You don't want to hear about that. But when Peter preached on Pentecost Sunday, three thousand souls were added to the kingdom of God. Three thousand men and women at the preaching of G- at the preaching of Peter. And I bet Peter sees them as. Not just fish in the net, but God's bounteous reward for the giving out of the gospel. There is no other name by which you may be saved, Peter said. Repent and believe in Jesus. What will you do for Christ? He will bless it. Boys and girls, you offer what you can do for Christ and he will bless it. Let's ask God's blessing on this word to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this beautiful picture of Peter's decisive moment. Father, I wonder, are there any in this room or any listening to this message who have heard your word and your spirit speaking? Have they resisted? Because it didn't seem the right time or they don't understand the wisdom of it have they hesitated to decide or obey father help them may today be a day of salvation for any who have been at arm's length any who have been clinging to their nets and not all in for jesus there may not be another day father we pray that you would be at work in all who hear and in those who hear and believe, may you give us strength for the paying the price of discipleship in a broken world, in a hostile world. May we so enjoy Jesus, our Savior, and the gift of the Spirit and the fellowship of the saints that we serve faithfully to the end. Lord, we thank you not only for Peter, but we thank you for filling this room and filling our lives with converts, with disciples, and showing the power of the gospel still in our day. Bless the preaching of your word, the hearing and believing of it, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.